You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Let me first ask you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is where I'm asking you to turn this morning. And as you're turning there, let me just say how grateful it is, how grateful I am uh, to be here with you. Um, Six years ago is when I became familiar with Harvest Bible Granger, and it was through my sister-in-law and and her husband, uh, Kate and Peter Rinks, uh, as they started attending and becoming members here. And um, this church and the gospel changed their lives. And um, it has been so amazing to see God working in their lives uh, through this church And so this is such a unique blessing for me to be here today. When I started uh, considering church planting, my wife Megan and I were praying and thinking about where we would go and and what that would look like. As we centered in on Florida, one of the questions we had is like, how are we going to do this? I've never church planted before, never been a part of a church plant. And so having witnessed what amazing things were going on in Catherine and Peter's lives. You know what I wanted? I wanted a church that looked like yours. I wanted to see the gospel change and grow people the way I saw it grow and change uh, Catherine and Peter. So if you're here this morning, you're in a good place. This is your first time here. I'm so thankful you're here. If you've been here for several years or months, you know it's the place to be. So let me encourage you by saying thank you. Your ministry to my family as Pastor Trent mentioned, his ministry to me, and I mean this in all sincerity, helped us launch Bay Cities Fellowship just outside of Tampa, Florida. We are almost a year old, and uh, I am so thankful for what God is doing down in Florida, but this is a treat to be with you here today. I'm joined by my wife, Megan, and our four kids. We'd love to meet you at some point today. Uh, once again, thank you so much. About 65 days ago is when Trent asked me to speak. And uh, he was sharing with me your made for more uh, vision and plan. And you're probably familiar with that. If you're not, you're, you're made to glorify. You're made to gather. You're made to grow. And he said, also, you're made to go. And so he looked at me and said, hey, man, you went to Florida. You left Minneapolis, which wasn't hard to go to Tampa. And uh, he said, could you talk to my church about going? So I'm going to be honest with you, when he mentioned that, I was excited because, man, I'd love to share with you what God has done in my life to send me and my family. But at the same time, like, okay, here, I'm going to come in as like the guy who's telling you to get busy and kind of be like the bad cop. And here's the reality. 65 days ago when Trent asked me, almost immediately God placed in my heart a passage that was doing some, something in me. And this passage that I've asked you to turn to in Revelation 5 is not one that I intend to beat you up with. If anything, I feel like this message is almost more for me. Um, You know, in the times that I've spoken outside of our church, I usually come prepared with maybe something I've already done in the past. Just to feel a little more confident and polished. This wasn't the case. Because for the past 65 days, you've been on my mind. I've been praying for you. I've been thinking about you. I've been asking God that this text would change and transform me so that when we gather together, we could enjoy this wonderful, grand passage. Now, if when I told you to open your Bibles to Revelation, you got a little bit of a twinge, like, oh man, what's this going to be about? I understand. 
Revelation can be a complex book, right? If, you've not, if you're not familiar with Revelation, it's essentially one grand vision that God gives the Apostle John to show about what is and what is to come. Now, I don't have the time and we probably don't have the capacity this morning to get really in depth. However, though, I'm taking us to a passage that I believe when we see the grandness of Revelation chapter 5, it's going to change how we live. You see, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, just outside of Detroit, Michigan. And I remember the first time I flew to Colorado and I saw the Rocky Mountains. And even though it was from a distance, I still remember that day in May of 2001 because it was like nothing I've ever seen before. See, the only thing that I'd ever seen in the horizon were kind of broken down buildings living in Michigan. However, going out to Colorado and seeing that, that, those grand Rocky Mountains, that's a moment that still today, I vividly remember. So we are going to look at one of, I believe, one of the grandest scenes of all of Scripture in the book of Revelation and see how this life-changing view that John portrays to us can actually change our present practices. You see, when we look at God's future plan, it should change how we live right now. I'm going to invite you to pray with me before we jump into this together. Lord, we need you this morning. I ask that you would speak. I ask that you would work. Lord, I pray that you would receive the glory for what's done now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Revelation, starting in chapter 1, we see a very terse summary of what this book is all about. So let me read this to you. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So as Revelation begins in chapters 1 through 3, you see Jesus giving seven specific messages to seven different churches that he wants them to understand and to keep and to change. But as we transition into chapter 4, and I really believe when you look at this dream, it's almost cinematic because you see this wonderful, unique picture, this life-changing view that John portrays to us of the throne room of God. And so beginning in chapter four, it says, after this, John speaking, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and with one seated on the throne. So here's my goal for us today. It's pretty simple. That we would witness like John, a life-changing view. You see, this life-changing view that we see here in Revelation 4 and 5, it details to us God's future plan. And I think that when we see God's future plan, it's going to change our present practices. You see, because God's future plan, first of all, reveals to us fulfilled promises. 
When John unpacks this future plan before us, we immediately encounter the fulfilled promises of God. Let's pick up reading Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written with written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? This is really interesting. Look at what verse three tells us. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to do what? To open the scroll or to look into it. Look at John's response. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. See, John has a great perplexity, anguish over this scrolls and its seals and the opening of it. Now, this isn't like John is worried like who can actually open it like we're worried about like when we're in the kitchen, you know, trying to open a jar of pickles or jelly and we're like, I can't get this open. It's, it's not quite like that. You see, John isn't just merely concerned about the opening of it but he's actually concerned with what this scroll is all about. So just give me a second here. Let me offer to you what I think this scroll is communicating. You see, I think this scroll or this book is best understood as containing God's plan of judgment and redemption. If you look in chapter six, seven, and eight of Revelation, you see these seals represent a future plan of God. However, though, this plan has already been set in motion by Christ's death and resurrection, but has yet to be completed. One of the most helpful phrases that I believe you can bring into your Bible reading is this phrase, already, but not yet. Meaning there are promises of God that are fulfilled to us, like we're seeing right here. This is Bible is true. We believe this to be accurate. This is detailing to us things that have already happened pertaining to God. Now, We'd be foolish to think that this has already been completed, right? It's already, but not yet. Why is that so significant? Because we're going to find truths in here that are part of God's future plan, but they have present implications. They have present application. You see, when we look at God's future plan, guess what it's going to do? That's what it should do. It should change our present practices. Notice, though, when the angelic person asked this question, who's going to open it? Look at John's response again. He's weeping, and he's weeping loudly, and he's crying out, I need this to be open. I want this to be open. Is there anyone worthy to do that? Because John understands it's not just merely the opening of it. It's the fulfillment of it. It's the completion of this grand plan that God already began. So I have a two-year-old son whose name is Nolan, and Nolan gets excited about going bye-bye. Any of you have kids like that? When it's time to go, they're like the kid running out the door ready to roll. Any of kids like that? My, my son is that way, and he, um, he's been so excited about this trip to come up here to South Bend. About two weeks ago, a little over two weeks now, I mean three weeks ago now, I said, hey, Nolan, guess what we're doing in two weeks? His eyes got big. I said, we're going on an airplane. And he's like, when? I said, two weeks. Said, two weeks? I was like, yeah. And all of a sudden, he's like, time to go bye-bye, right? And he's like, no, 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 two weeks. And he's like, two weeks? I'll get my blankie. And like, you can see, like, he's ready to go. 
And I'm saying, Nolan, it's not, even though the time is near, and even though the plans have already been made, it's not quite ready yet. And guess what Nolan began to do? Cry. And he wasn't just crying because he couldn't go on the airplane. He was crying, I believe, because he felt the weight and the excitement and all of the joy about getting to go bye-bye on the airplane, sitting next to dad, eating snacks. I was saying, son, the time is near, but it's not quite ready yet. I think this is what John is feeling. He's looking and he knows that something unique is brewing. He knows that the end is, at, is near and he knows that there needs to be a fulfillment of it, but he's looking at the very thing that is his ticket to fulfillment and guess what the angel says? There's no one worthy to open this. Who can do this? And John is perplexed, but notice the response from the angel in verse five, or the elder, excuse me. It says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. You see, we shouldn't be described about the description in John's dream because God's future plan is all about fulfilled promises. Look at the name of this one who can open the scrolls. Think of what this is suggesting. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. Those are Old Testament terms that are embedded with all the promises of God. And John here is showing us that the one who is able to fulfill history is the one who has fulfilled all the promises of God. And you know who his name is? Jesus. And so you see this grand picture of Jesus and it says here in verse eight, and this is where I think it's a very cinematic moment. It says, in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, look who John sees. He sees a lamb standing and look at this description. It's so important as though it had been slain. What's crazy to me is that in God's future plan, you can still identify Jesus with the very wounds, with the very wounds that secured our redemption. And you know what that suggests to me? That God's future plan is all about fulfilled promises. Specifically though, fulfilled promises to redeem his people. What it says in verse eight. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And what did they begin to do? Sing. But notice what they're singing. A new what? A new song. You see, this song details how the lamb possesses great worth on account of his unique actions. In the Old Testament, when you encounter this phrase, a song or a new song, you know what it's for? It's used to describe praise for God's victory over the enemy. And sometimes it's even used to describe God's creative work. However, though, in this case, you know what this new song is all about? It's all about the Lamb. It's all about the one who is worthy. It's all about the slain lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who is worthy to open the scroll and the seals. And why is that significant? Because the one who is worthy is the one who fulfilled promises to redeem his people. Look at this song that's sung by 
this angelic choir. It says, worthy are you, Lord, verse 9, to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. And by your blood, what did you do? You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, even though this concept of Jesus dying on the cross may be familiar to you, just humor me for a moment and consider the depths of this with me. You see, ever since the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, because of their sin, were cast out from God's presence. And all of humanity, ever since that moment, has been experiencing, I believe, a celestial homesickness. Meaning the very thing that you were created for, the very thing you long for is the presence of God. But I got bad news. Your sin keeps you from that. So instead of God being like, okay, I'm done with those people, they can just suffer. What does God do? He looks at you and he looks at me and he demonstrates his love by sending his son who was on the inside. He sends him to the outside to ransom to redeem you. There's no greater love than this. And this is why the lamb is worthy because he was slain. It was his blood. It is still identified as the mark what separates him from all other creatures. And that separation is on account of his worthiness. And his worthiness is all because he fulfilled promises. And you know what those promises were? To redeem you to love you, to make it so the very thing you were created for, to enjoy the presence of God, you could now enjoy it. And when I think about that, a couple things come to mind. When I understand the depth of God's love for me, you know what I think about? I don't think we should struggle with self-esteem. And let me tell you why. God loves you enough to die for you. I mean, think about that. Has anyone ever died for you? I mean, seriously, who's loved you enough to give everything for you? But God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his son Jesus because of you. He values you so much that he would still look in the face of your sin, send his son and die because of you, because he loves you, because he values you. I mean, I don't know if you're struggling with self-worth or esteem this morning, but I got good news. There's someone who's really important that keeps his promises that values you a lot. Secondly, when I look at this passage, notice he's not just ransoming any old people. Look who he's ransoming. People of what? Every tribe, every language, and every nation. Discrimination and prejudice should have no part in the church. And I want you to look at this. Every type of people, every type of person is valuable to God. This is God's family. It's made up of multi-ethnics and multi-generations. And so it is easy for us to get prejudice in our preferences, to want things to be the way we want it and to be uncomfortable when it's not. But I got news for you folks. Discrimination and prejudice has no part in the church because Jesus loves and values all tribes, all tongues, all people. Also, questioning your purpose shouldn't be an issue. So why don't you look back at verse 9. It says that Jesus was slain, and by your blood you ransomed people 
What are those next two words after that? For God. You ever wondered, like, why am I here on earth? Like, what's my purpose? You ever thought that? There are several college students in our church down in Tampa, and I have that conversation with college students often. That's not to be demeaning, because you're at a very transitional point of life. You're asking, what should I do? What's my future? What's my purpose? It's interesting, though. I've also had that conversation with, like, men in their 50s, okay? Like, it's like, it's, I don't know what happens, but, like, in college, like, what should I do? But then all of a sudden, you turn 50. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it's really unique. So I got some news for you. When you look at this picture here, we find that there is great purpose. You have been redeemed and ransomed for God. Now your life, your passions, your goals, your energy, your family, guess who it's for? It's for God. You think about you're made for more. You are made to glorify. All of your life is an instrument to bring glory to God. Whether you're a single mom, fighting through the struggles of raising a child at home and trying to work, or whether you're a 65-year-old man wondering, did I have fulfillment and purpose in my life? You have a purpose. You have value. So much so that Jesus gave it all for you. You see, when we see God's future plan, it's going to change our present practices. Because God's future plan reveals fulfilled promises to redeem his people, but also to advance his kingdom. See, this redeemed people from the earth are now classified as a collective kingdom and priest. And what I love about this, this is not new language. You see, in the book of Exodus in chapter 19, when Israel is brought out of Egypt, out of bondage to the mount, guess what God tells them? He tells them that they are a kingdom of priests. It says in verse 5 of Exodus 19, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he says, you shall be to me a treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You see, in Exodus we witness a promise predicated on Israel's obedience. He says, if you obey, you're going to be this great treasured people, a kingdom of priests. But if you're familiar with Scripture, guess what happens to Israel? They don't obey. But here's what's amazing. The promise in Revelation we witness an existing reality not predicated on our, our obedience, but predicated on the true Israel's obedience. So that we don't have to wonder, are these promises good for us? We know they're good for us. They've been fulfilled by Jesus. And Jesus has now told us that we have been made a kingdom of priests. We have collective authority from God on this earth and we have access to him as well. Now, as I mentioned, the phrase already but not yet is very key in understanding this passage. You see, obviously we're not reigning like probably we will reign according to the book of Revelation. However, though, think about this with me. God has made you as an image bearer. 
God has made you like him to show his glory and his worth to all the world around you. And I've got even better news. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a Christian, you're not just an image bearer. You know what God calls you in 2 Corinthians 5? He says you're an ambassador. You know what that means? You've been sent to represent. Now think about this. The places where you live, and where you work, and even where you play should not just be seen as these random individual territories that you go and occupy, just the opposite. These are God's mission field for you to go in and to show your coworkers and to show your neighbors and moms, to show those other moms at the park, this is what life as an image-bearing ambassador of God looks like. And here's the problem, though. We get so consumed with building our own castles. Now, it's interesting. Our church now is almost a year old, and I have never struggled with jealousy towards other churches like the way I've struggled in church planning. And not, it's not churches afar. I'm all about like churches like in Indiana or California or Boston. The churches in the Tampa Bay area that are successful, I struggle with. Because I'm thinking this is all about Bay Cities and my castle and my kingdom, and that thinking is wrong. You know, think about this. What would it look like if this church started modeling to other churches what a collective group of people could do in South Bend, in Granger, in Mishawaka, in Niles, or wherever you may live? What would it look like if a collective group of people stopped building their own castles started advancing the kingdom of God and said, you know what? We want this area to look a little more like heaven than it does on earth. Think about how that would inform the way you mow your lawn. Think about how that would, how that would help you at work when you're crunching numbers. Think about just with your family, how that would transform the way you think. You see, when we see God's future plan, that we're a people who are a kingdom, who are to be reigning on this earth, it should change how we live right now. Because those promises and those realities are already true, even though they're not yet completed. So I want you to think about what could happen if Harvest Bible Church in Granger, Indiana said, you know what? Yeah, we're made to gather. Yeah, we're made to grow. But we want to go to our neighbors, to our coworkers the people we see in the parks. And we want to reach every street with the good news of Jesus Christ and to see this area look a little more like heaven than it does here on earth. That's what God has called us to. We've been sent to represent the gospel, his kingdom. You see, God has a future plan that's all about fulfilled promises. But secondly, God also has in this future plan an exaltation of devoted worshipers. Look at verse 11. It says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And what were they saying with a loud voice? They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, these, these worshipers, they were praising the work of Jesus. 
And I think when we think of praise, we often think very one-dimensionally. I had the wonderful privilege to go down to see the South Bend Cubs a couple nights ago. Have you all been to that new stadium? Amazing. But what was even more amazing was uh, Ben's pretzels. That, was that what it's called? Have you all had those? I was like, man, I'm moving up here just for those pretzels. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I, I mean, the whole night, I felt like it's all I talked about. I'm like, y'all, y'all seen that pretzel? <laughs> and, and I had like half with cinnamon, half with uh, salt. I was like dipping it and everything. It was amazing. All I could do was talk about it. And I have three days later, I'm still talking about it. And that's how often we think about praise. It's very one-dimensional. It's very verbal. We come here on Sundays, we sing, we praise. But I want you to notice something. When Revelation 5.12 talk about, talks about this worthy lamb receiving power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing, I believe that what's being emphasized here is that Jesus is worthy to receive all the power, wealth, strength, honor, and glory, and praise that the entire cosmos can bring to him in gratitude for salvation. When my parents became believers, I was in middle school, and um, we would, just because we were new to Christianity, we would try to take in anything Christian. So we would watch uh, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. I'm not sure if you ever heard of that, and this is not to be a judgment of, of that at all, but when I would watch that, I would often see kind of unique expressions like of, of strength. And what I mean by that is there are, there are these uh, extreme lifters, like these extreme like heavyweight lifting dudes who would have these rallies where they would like lift weights for Jesus. And I remember while I was like 11 years old, scrawny little kid, and I was watching this dude who's probably like so, you know, so roided up. I mean, he got huge. And he had like this phone book. And he's like, I'm going to rip this phone book in Jesus' name. And he just like rips it in two. I'm like, oh man, like, I was just like, how much power is that? I loved it. But Regardless of whether or not that was a good thing or not, here's the point. (laughs) This guy understood that there is so much more than just verbal praise we can bring to Jesus. I've already mentioned these areas of living and working and playing, but I just want to get real down nitty gritty with you. It's very easy to live a compartmentalized life, isn't it? Like you have like your work hat, your your family hat, your play hat, your church hat. But when we understand what's happening here in God's future plan, we're a kingdom of priests. We're ruling and reigning. All of life is centered under the authority of God. What that means is even your work can bring praise to God. Moms, even changing dirty little diapers can bring praise to God. Like you have a purpose as an ambassador, as one made in the image of God. And what we find here is there is great praise in bringing all things under the name of Jesus. Trimming your hedges, loving your neighbors, things that were like, oh yeah, no big deal, but have we really been intentional about seeing our lives used as an instrument to let people know where you live and where you work and where you play that Jesus is Lord over all creation. So they praise the work of Jesus, but you know what else they do? They celebrate the position of God. Look at verse 13. And John, as like the cinematic camera zooms out, says, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. There's this grand scene of worship. People are bowed down, singing praise to the Lamb. And you know what this uniquely and oddly reminds me of? What we all probably look forward to in just a few weeks, right? The scene at Notre Dame Stadium. And, and, and just hear me out here. When you see this adoration and cheering and passion that you find in here, I think there's an earthly, you know, metaphor when we go and we cheer on our favorite football teams. Like, you think about when that stadium's popping, you know, the first game of the year when they play Michigan and lose, it's going to be... Oh, <laughs> see, I'm a Michigan fan. I know. I'm sorry. My in-laws aren't letting me come home today. Uh, here's the reality. I love when that stadium's popping. I, bit, I love the pageantry and passion of Notre Dame. It's amazing. And, and, and the music's playing, the crowd's cheering, and they zoom in on the tunnel where the players are filling. And you can see them kind of bouncing. You know what I mean? Like the, the, you can feel the excitement. They're, they're, they're seeing what's in front of them. They've prepared, right? They've prepared for this moment. The outcome's not necessarily even guaranteed, right? They're not sure if they're going to win or lose. I'm going to withhold a joke, but here, like, they, they don't know. They, they don't know what's in front of them, but you know what they're ready to do? They're ready to give their all. And I love when the camera zooms in and you feel that passion, you feel that energy, and you see them yell out, let's go! You know why? <laughs> you know why? They see what's in front of them. They understand the circumstances and they're ready to give their life. For what? A game. That they're not even sure whether they're going to win or lose. We've got in front of us a future plan of God where his promises are fulfilled. He's made you his own. He's made you a part of a kingdom where you have a purpose to reign forever with him on this earth. Why can't we, like those football players, while we're eating our cornflakes and considering the day, say, let's go? I mean, come on. Like, this is why we're made. We're made for God. When you roll up to work and you're thinking about your coworkers and, the, and, and your spreadsheets, like, you know what? Let's go. When you're at home and the kids are driving you crazy, and I understand, moms, you're fighting hard, but come on, let's go. Like, the passion that football players have for a game. We can't have for Jesus and his kingdom that we're a part of, that he died to make us his own? Like, let's go. Let's go. How can I live this way? Like, when I think about this, I get excited, as you probably can tell. <laughs> this is awesome stuff. How can I live this way? I think, first of all, we have to be real. We have to be real not just with each other, but ultimately and initially with God. Because to live a life like this takes sacrifice, takes authenticity, doesn't it? Like we, like, we need each other to live like this. As you understand, like, you know, if you're being, like, convicted like I am this morning, like, the reality is, like, we can't do this alone. We weren't intended to do it alone. But we have to be real. We have to be real in our relationship with God but also real in our relationship with others. We also need to be intentional. You think about these football players that go and play on that field. They don't just wake up like, oh, I should go play football today. Their whole lives have been meticulously and intentionally planned for four to maybe 10 years of their life to go and wear a team's jersey and hit some dudes. We have 
a life where we've been called to be a part of a kingdom, to follow Jesus. We can't plan out our day. We can't think, God, how can I use just something as simple as walking over to my neighbor's house to bring cookies? Like, and I realize that sounds so specific, but think about this. If you're an ambassador, if you've been sent to represent, it takes intentionality, it takes generosity, a willingness to say, all right, God, you gave everything, so can I. Your spirit fills me, you empower me, I can do this. But then ultimately, I believe it takes tenacity. And I'm not trying to draw on your own strength here. I'm just gonna ask you a simple question I've asked myself. Is he worth it? Like, when we see this grand passage and understand these fulfilled promises, is he worth it? And I know you would say, yeah, he is. But think about this. When we see God's future plan, you know what it should do? It should change our present practices. So how we live right now today matters. Not because it matters about what you'll necessarily have as your vocation or the size of your family, but it matters because Jesus is the worthy lamb who's worth it. So let me ask you a question, is he worth it? Is he worth it? Come on, is he worth it? Yes. And so if he's worth it, if he's worth it, it's gonna change how we live, isn't it? And, and, and I'm saying this as much to you as I am to me. 65 days I've thought and prayed for this moment. And ironically, I think it's been something that maybe I've needed more than anyone else. And so I want to leave you today with this wonderful scene of worship to God. To say, we can live a life now that reflects the future because of the fulfilled promises of God that he has provided for us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we come before you this morning, our hearts are filled with gratitude because of what you have done, because of your worth, because of your glory. Lord, you truly alone are worthy. Lord, we are made to glorify you. And so Lord, as we sing, as we conclude this time of gathering together, time of growing, way we go with a new passion, with a new hope, because we've seen the future, we've seen your plan, and it changes how we live right now. We pray this in Jesus' name.